How you all doing, all right? How many parents are excited about their kids going back to school this week? Woo! That's, a, that's something to celebrate, isn't it? Hey? It's so cool. You can offload your problem children to the teachers instead. Yes? I was uh, talking to someone this week, and they said to me, well, I heard someone this week, apparently they really love their children, but um, one day this week they could have quite easily have murdered them. Has anybody understand what we're talking about here. You just have to remember that the Bible says that children are a gift from God. It doesn't say whether they're a good gift. <laughs> no, I'm just joking. I'm just joking. It's good to have you here this morning. And uh, I'm excited about 21 days of prayer and fasting. We will have information about fasting for you next Sunday. We will have a 21-day kind of devotional thing that you can do, but we've also got word for the days out there and all sorts of things uh, that will be available to you to help you walk through. Because fast, prayer and fasting is this thing that it doesn't... Uh, sometimes we do prayer and fasting because we think, if I fast, then God has to answer me. It's, it's almost like, it's almost like um, you know, we give our kids pocket money because they do jobs around the house. No, you don't give your children pocket money for doing jobs around the house? Flip, you guys are mean. Um, we give our kids pocket, well, not Madison, but Seth gets money depending on what he does around the house. And sometimes we treat prayer and fasting as almost like a thing where we, we're, we, because we're prayer and fasting, we've now got God's arm up his back and he has to do stuff for us. But we have to understand something. Prayer and fasting doesn't change God. He's the same yesterday, today. In fact, prayer and fasting changes us. Fasting disconnects us from the world and prayer reconnects us with God. And so... It's really important that you understand that through this process of doing 21 days of prayer and fasting, it's not him that changes, it's you that changes. And I think that's really important because just about all of us, most people I know start off their new year with new year resolutions. Did anybody do new year resolutions this year? If you're here. I, I, I personally don't do them, and the reason why I don't do them is because like 92% of people that make resolutions Apparently, the statistics say that by the time uh, um, Valentine's Day comes, 92% of those New Year resolutions have gone. <laughs> it's like only 8% of people continue on with New Year resolutions. I always have this New Year resolution that I'm going to get fit, <laughs> that I'm going to get to the gym and I'm going to get fit. Has anybody else here made goals and that kind of goal never really happens, it just, it's a, but it's a goal that you've always had? Come on, let's be honest this morning. We all have those, and we have goals, and, and we wonder why sometimes those goals don't really happen. And so I want to I talk to you this morning a little bit around that called New Year, New You, and, um, and I think there's some really cool stuff that we can grab from Scripture that helps us understand maybe why we don't achieve some of the things that we want to achieve, and uh, hopefully it will help you. So let me pray so that it helps me. Father, we thank you this morning that you're here and that you're in this place. Help us to understand what it is that we need to do so that we can change and become more like you. In Jesus' name, amen. I mean, the good thing about, about New Year resolutions and wanting it is the fact that we want to change, yes? Wanting to change is a really good thing. The bad news is, is that, like I said, according to studies, 92% of us by Valentine's Day have kind of stopped. So I, I kind of got really psyched about the gym in about October last year and I went really, really well until just before Christmas. And then all the work that I did prior to Christmas, Christmas has blessed me abundantly. The holidays blessed me abundantly. 
with a great holiday, but also an extra few kgs to carry around because that's what happens, yeah? And the thing is, is that we start to look at some of the things we want to change, and sometimes they look big, like some of the things we want to change relationally, some of the things we want to change physically, look like they're major obstacles, look like they're big things that we have to do. But in reality, I think we need to understand that making change is all about small things leading in the direction of big things over time. It's the little things that lead to the big things. It's the little progresses, the little things that we take that lead to a big thing. And And I believe we see that in Jesus's life. Jesus was somebody who was incredibly successful, wouldn't you say? Incredibly successful, but regularly you can see with Jesus that he took himself aside to pray, to have that intimate relationship with God. No matter how busy he was, or no matter what demands were placed upon him, he had this particular habit that he did all the time where he would withdraw himself alone with God to pray, and then he hence had an incredible intimate relationship with Father. It says of the Apostle Paul this in Scriptures, it says that he went up to the synagogue as was his custom, or in other words, as was his habit. The Apostle Paul was the person that he was because he had particular things that he did a lot of times. And what they will tell you this is that successful people are people who do things regularly that the rest of us only do occasionally. And so Jesus and and the Apostle Paul were successful in what they did because they had particular things that they did regularly. It was a habit. It was a custom. It was something that they really did. This guy called Sean Covey says this, that our habits will make us or break us. We become what we repeatedly do. Our habits will make us or break us. We actually become what we repeatedly do. You are where you are because you repeatedly do something that causes you to constantly be where you end up. If you're like me, you repeatedly start the gym and then you repeatedly stop the gym and then you have to repeatedly start it again. If I would just be consistent with it for a whole 12 months, I might actually contain my goal. And the cool thing is is that the Apostle Paul, as much as he had these habits that he had in his life, he actually understood this problem that we have. And he has it in Romans chapter 7. He says, I don't really understand myself for what I want to do, what is right, but I don't do it. Instead, I do what I hate. I want to do what is right, but I can't. I want to do what is good, but I don't. I don't want to do what is wrong, but I do it anyway. Anybody with me this morning? And then he says this, oh, what a miserable person I am. That's the big mistake that we make, friend, is that sometimes we don't achieve the things that we do. We don't do the things we want to do. We end up doing things we don't want to do. And then what the enemy does is that he comes along and he connects your failure with your identity. Because Paul is saying here, I'm failing at some stuff. Oh, what a miserable person I am. Don't, don't you feel that sometimes when you're not, quite accomplishing some of the things that you want to accomplish and all of a sudden the enemy comes along and says you're useless, you're a failure, you're hopeless at this, you're, you're just so disorganized you're, and all of a sudden we start to assemble, we start to join together, or we start to identify with our failure and then their failure becomes our identity. I've seen that in people's lives. It's like, I, I, it's, it's like people say, oh, I'm, I'm a sinner saved by grace. No, you're not. If you are saved, you are no longer a sinner. You are now the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. 
Or they say things like, I'm a recovering alcoholic, but they've been recovered for five years. No, no, I'm no longer an alcoholic. God has set me free from that. It's not who I am. And so all of a sudden, we start to, the enemy comes along, and what he wants to do is he wants to connect your failure with your identity because then it will rob you of becoming everything that you want to be. And so when you assemble your failure with your identity, then all of a sudden the motivation to change just disappears. But I love what Paul says after he says, oh, what a miserable person I am. He has this mind-changing thought. He has this shift in his spirit. And he says, who will free me from this life that is dominated by sin and death? It's almost like he's starting to spiral now, yeah? And then he says, thank God. Thank God. The answer is in Jesus Christ, our Lord. Oh, what a failure I am. How undisciplined I am. How, how, how unbecoming I am of all the things that I want to be. But thank God. Thank God that the source of my change is in Christ. That the source of who I am is in Him. It doesn't matter who we were or where you are or where you're heading or what you've done or who you've been. With Christ, he can take all things and make them new. Yes, if anyone is in Christ, he says that you are a new person, a new creation. The old is gone, the new has come. And my prayer for you this morning and for this year would be that that we just don't only experience all the life that's available in Christ, but we would actually live out some of the disciplines, some of the little things that God gives us so that we end up living this God-honoring, successful life. I don't want to just experience what he's done for me. I want to live some of the things that he instructs and and become disciplined about those things so that I can become all he created me to be. And when it comes to our habits, when it comes to success, the reality is, is we fail to succeed when we just have good intentions. When we just have good intentions, we fail to succeed because intentions don't get you where you need to go, yes? So I just want to share with you this morning, hopefully not just something that will help you with New Year resolutions, but something that will help you with life, three reasons why we don't achieve some of the things that we want to achieve. Three reasons why we don't fulfill some of the goals that we go after. And the first one is this, is that we focus on the what, but we don't understand the how. We focus on the what, but we don't understand the how. We live the thing that we want to accomplish, but we don't know how to get there, or we, 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 we know what it is that we want to accomplish, but we just have no idea to get there. Is anybody with me this morning understands what I'm saying? Because you're looking at me like this is just my problem. But the thing is, is that you can have all the goals in the world, but you've actually got to think about how am I going to get there? When it comes to your finances, most people say that they want to be out of debt, you know? Most people, we sit down and we talk about by the end of this year, we'd like to see this much of our mortgage paid off and we, these are our financial goals that we're trying to accomplish and, and amongst those financial goals, we have braces for children and we have a holiday in Hawaii for our 25th wedding anniversary and so you start to work all those things and you work out your finances. There's not a person in this room that sits down at the start of a year and goes, you know, I'm hoping by the end of this year that I've been double the debt that I'm in with a really good interest rate of 20% per annum. No, nobody, nobody does that. Nobody does that with relationships. We all want good relationships, but nobody sits down and goes, by the end of this year, I hope, I hope that my wife and I are fighting and bickering all the time. I really, it's kind of the plan. You come up with 
a plan of where you want to be, but then half the time we don't get where we want to be because we, we think about the where we want to be, but we don't think about how we're going to get there. How is that going to happen? You want to make a difference in the world. You want your life to matter. There's a guy called James Clear, and he wrote a book called Atomic Habits, and he said this successful that successful people and unsuccessful people actually have the same goals. There's not a person in this room that does not want that's married that does not want their marriage to be better at the end of this year than the start of this year. There's not a person in this room that wants to be in more debt at the end of this year than at the start of the year, unless you don't currently own a home and you're going to buy one this year. That could be a good goal, and you will end up in more debt by the end of the year than this year. But it's a good idea. There's not a person in this room that thinks about, by the end of this year, I hope my life is more miserable than the start of this year. We want our lives to improve, and both successful people and unsuccessful people have the same goals. But let me say this to you this morning, goals don't determine success. Systems determine success. Goals are where we're heading to, systems provide a way to get there. You don't rise to the level of your goals, you actually rise to the level of your systems, the things that you put in place. That's why Daniel in the Bible was so successful. The Bible says that Daniel had particular things that he did and it caused him to rise up above all the other young men in the land. They got all jealous of him and accused him of all sorts of stuff and Daniel got thrown into the lion's den. Does anybody remember that story? I remember that story because my dad, who's here this morning, used to sing a song to me when I was little. See if you got, if any of you are older, you might know this one. Show my age a little bit now. It was Daniel in the lion's den. Anyone remember that? Looked around at them and then, rah. Then God came and shut their mouths and they couldn't even, rah. It's a great, great song. You can teach that to your kids. Take that home, I hope it blessed you. Um, but he's in there, and he gets thrown into the den of lions, and what happens? God blesses him in the lion's den. The lions don't eat him. He just chills out with them and has a good time. And he has the success after success, and the king then, when he's not eaten by the lions, wants to understand what's going on. And the success just keeps coming to Daniel all the time. And there's a period in Daniel's story, if you read it, where the king made a decree that he was the only person that could be worshipped. But the Bible says that Daniel continued, everyone listen to me for a moment, continued just three times a day to go up into his room, open the windows that faced towards Jerusalem, and prayed to his God. Three times a day, every day, Daniel had a system. Daniel had a habit of spending three times a day, even when it was unlawful. i got to stick to my system three times a day, getting up to my room, opening the windows towards Jerusalem and praying. And then I go and do whatever I got to do. I come back the second time and I pray. I go away and do whatever it is. I come. He had a system in place that allowed him to be more successful than anybody else, and God honored it. And if you want to grow in your faith, and if you want to be more faithful, you won't rise to the level of your goals. You'll rise to the level of your systems. What, what have you put in place to help you grow to the goal of where you want to be with Jesus? 
Prayer and fasting is a really great opportunity to start something for you, to get away from watching Shortland Street and spending some time in your Bible would be a really good idea this year. Yes? I can't believe that program is still going. It's such rubbish. One of the great things that I did while I was on holiday is I didn't watch the news once. I am so much happier when I'm not watching the news. The news to me is the most depressing, awful, twisted, manipulated thing that's on our TV program, on our TV. So what, what can we do? What, what is it that I need to put in place? Maybe I need to start getting up half an hour earlier this year than what I normally do and spend that time with a system of reading my Bible for five minutes, praying for five minutes, and worshipping for five minutes. We actually have a thing that we've taught in the church for a long time now called My 15, yeah? Five minutes of Bible, five minutes of prayer, and five minutes of praise. Maybe that's something that you could implement into your life. And I, and I know some people, but I, I've tried that. I've tried reading the Bible, and I just find it boring. Yeah, but, but so is going to the gym boring until you start to see the results. You've just got to consistently do, because successful people do consistently what others do occasionally. You've got to put a system in place that's going to help you get to where you want to be and not just have a good intention. If you have in place systems that build your faith, strengthen your knowledge and intimacy with God, you're more likely to become the person that you want to become. If we fix what we do, how we live, the habits of our life, the outcomes will fix themselves. You know, I remember someone saying to me once when, I was early on in our marriage, probably year five or year six, and there's some things that were frustrating me about Trinity. I know that's hard to believe because she's the most perfect woman on the face of the planet. But I remember them saying this to me. I remember them saying, if there's a problem in your wife that's a problem with you, fix yourself first and it'll sort itself out. And it's amazing how often I've taken that advice through the last, well, 20 years of marriage, because it's 25 years this year, and I have, if there's something that's frustrating me about her, as I go away and say, okay, what's my problem that I need to sort out? And it's amazing how often when I sort me out, it sorts her out without me even having to say anything. Why? Because probably she's not the problem, I was the problem. And if we would fix ourselves, if we would put some systems in place and we would stick to them and we would do those systems, you'll actually find that just by doing those systems, that problem or that issue that you have automatically fix itself because of the system. The goal is brilliant, but the goal alone won't get you there. It's a system that you put in place that will get you to where you need to be. The second thing, reason why we don't achieve some of the goals that we want to achieve is we don't see progress fast enough. You know what I mean? I've been dieting for a week now. And I thought I would have lost 30 kgs by now. You know what I'm saying? It's, it's we don't see the results fast enough. It's not, things aren't happening quick enough. I, 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 but you don't understand, Craig. I spent three weeks praying every single day for the salvation of my husband or the salvation of my mother. And, and they're not saved yet. So that I, we, we don't see results fast enough 
because we live in an instant society where if we have to wait for 30 seconds for our McDonald's burger, we just about have a, have a catalytic moment on our hands or a cathartic moment on our hands, you know, burst into tears and there's weeping and gnashing of teeth because you have to wait 30 seconds. There's this thing that we have in us that just wants it now, wants results immediately. And God just doesn't operate that way. And he may answer you in three weeks, but he also may answer you after a long time, like I've mentioned before, my Uncle Rex, which my mum probably paid for him for about 50 years before he got saved. It's, it's giving up before we start to see things come through. We don't see things happen fast enough, and because it's the little things that make all the difference, we don't actually, we make this mistake that we, we wrongly conclude that the small good decisions don't matter that much. That the little decisions, the little ones, the little disciplines that you put in place in your life, we decide because we're not seeing massive results from that, that those little things actually don't really matter because we're not seeing a result. But when I read scripture, God is all about the little things. <laughs> mustard seed faith. Yeah? If you have faith the size of a mustard seed, you can command this mountain to move and it's moved. It's the, it's the little things. He says, be faithful in the small things and I will give you much. It's the little things actually really matter to God because God understands that little things done consistently over a period of time lead to big things. And so what we wrongly conclude is that these little changes that I made aren't really working because, you know, it's, I'm just not seeing results enough. And then there's the flip side to that. There's the other side to that, that we can skip church for a weekend and our whole entire world doesn't fall apart. Nothing tragic happens to me spiritually, or I can eat a whole box of chocolates and nothing much else changes. And so not only do we make a wrong conclusion that the good little decisions that we're making aren't really producing results, but we actually think the small bad decisions we're making aren't producing results. And our life... In reality, friend, your life, my life, every single person in this room, the sum total of where you are today is based on the decisions that you've made. Based on the decisions that you make. Your today is a result of every single little decision that you have made along your entire life. And they all matter. Every single one of them matter. They all add up over time. One small good decision at a time with a small discipline done again and again faithfully over a period of leads, leads, years leads you to a place that everybody else wants to be. And I've heard people, I remember saying to people before, man, how did you get to where you are? I, I want to be like you. And it's just little small decisions and disciplines that they put in their lives so that they can end up where they are. I remember somebody saying, when I said to them, man, I'd love to be where you are financially. And he goes, well, then you have to do what we've done. I've heard some people in our church, I mean, the Nicklin family, an incredible family with all their kids following Jesus and doing stuff. And Ben's over in Hillsong and Gina, of course, is a youth pastor here. And Luke's highly involved. And people, man, I hope my kids are like theirs when they go there. They love God and they love the house of God. Well, if you want your kids to love God and love the house of God, then you have to do the things that they did. 
which means when they're 14 and they're whinging and moaning about having to come to church, it's just not an option in our household. Church is not an option. It's not an add-on. You do it every single Sunday unless we're on holiday or you're dead. Why? Because it's teaching a system, a habit, which leads to success later on in life. If they miss one Sunday, is it going to kill anybody? No. One Sunday is not going to kill anybody if you miss it. But if you're missing three a month and only coming once, friend, I'm sorry, but your little bad decision is going to lead to particular results in your children. Because what matters to you matters to them. Well, I don't know if I really agree with you on that, Craig. Well, why don't you go home today and fill up a pot of water with cold water then put it on the element on your stove and turn the stove on. And you can put your hand, even though that stove is running red hot, right at the start, you can put your hand in that water, it's no problem. But slowly but surely, over a period of time of consistent heat, there comes a tipping point where that water is now boiling. And if you put your hand in there, you're going to get burned, yes? Life is exactly the same way. Consistent things applied to your life changes your life from being cold water to becoming boiling hot. It's the way that it works. It's the way the kingdom works. Galatians says this in chapter 6, verse 9, let us not become weary in doing good for at the proper time. Everyone say proper time. That was really enthusiastic. We will reap a harvest if we do not give up. When will we reap a harvest if we don't give up? At what time? The proper time. What's the proper time? Not your time, God's time. (laughs) When he says, the thing about God is that he's never early, but he's never late. And half the time I still don't think he's on time. He always turns up at the right time. Not my time, the right time. Let us not become weary. Let us not, let us not look at the system. Or whatever we put in place, the habits we've put in place, and go, oh man, it's not producing the results I want. This is so hard. Having to get up every morning at six o'clock to go to the gym. I don't want to do that. I'd rather go at about 9.30. That's kind of more convenient for me. Yeah, don't become weary. Don't become disillusioned. Don't, it's church again this week. Or, oh, I've got to go to work this. Don't become weary in doing good because at the proper time, you will reap a harvest at the proper time. All of a sudden, you know, you're doing, you're eating right, you're disciplining yourself around food, and maybe you're doing some exercise, and nobody really notices at first. And then all of a sudden, six, seven, eight, ten months down the track, everyone starts going, "Man, you're looking good." But they never see it in the first four weeks. They never see it in the first five or six weeks. Or you may be really sewing in and and changing the what you do in your quiet time and you're really applying yourself and, and nobody notices the spiritual change in you in the first four weeks. But by the end of the year, people are like, wow, you've grown so much this year. You know, I think about um, Anna and Madison, two interns from last year that are here this morning, and I know what they were like at the start of the year in their internship, and I know what they're like at the end of the year. And the growth in them was phenomenal. Why? Because they disciplined themselves, went online, looked at the lectures, went to Bible college. They put a discipline in their lives and consistently did it through the whole year, and they became 
more spiritually in tune with what God wants. Why? Because when you put a system in place and you do it consistently and you don't get weary in doing it, you will reap a harvest. It's the things that no one sees that brings the results everybody wants. It's the things that no one sees that brings the results that everybody wants. And I remember someone in our church is doing very well financially. I had a conversation with them about what are some of the disciplines you put in your life. And the first thing is they said this is, I go without now so I don't have to go without then. And it's one of the biggest challenges for me. I don't know about you, but I'm, I'm not, I, I kind of like to have things now. Is anybody like me? It's like, I've had to discipline myself that even though I'm in no leamings to pick up an extension cord, I do not need to go to the TV section. And if I do arrive at the TV section, I don't have to buy that TV. Is anybody like me? I've had to discipline myself to go, for every purchase that I make, I will go home and pray about it overnight first and see what God says in the morning. Because what I found is the things that I make spontaneous decisions about, I've learned that if I wait a night and I pray that night, when I wake up in the morning, I decide not to do it. And I reckon I've saved myself thousands of dollars just by saying, no, we won't take it right now. I'm going to think about it overnight. And I reckon I cost us a whole lot of money early in our marriage because I didn't wait overnight. And I'm like, yes. I mean, um, we had a, we had a, when we got married, we had a um, quite a big screen TV that we got for free. It's, it's the old box one, though. You know, it was about that wide. You know those ones, and and you had to get up to change the channel. One of those TVs, and and it died. My brother gave it to me for free, and it died. And Trinity goes, just go out and get a little 14-inch. We don't need a big TV. Well, my intention was to get a 14-inch. But when I saw the 32-inch widescreen, the Spirit of the Lord spoke to me. And he said, why spend 400 when you can spend 1200 And I arrived home with a big screen TV, and Trinity goes, I thought, we were getting a 14-inch. You see, if I had gone home and thought about it that night, plus had a conversation with her, tomorrow I would have brought the 14-inch and saved myself. But you know what I'm saying? It's the things that are done in secret, the things that are done that nobody sees, that actually produces the results that everybody wants. So I want to encourage you. Make sure you have a system. Don't quit on it just because it's not happening quickly. Don't don't give up because you're not seeing big results. Little changes done on a regular basis lead to big changes in years to come. And the third reason and the big reason why I believe we don't actually accomplish some of the goals that we want to go after, and Paul says it himself, it's our distorted identity sabotages our success. Our distorted identity sabotages our success. The enemy tries to connect your failures with your identity, tries to make your failures personal. You failed, so you're a failure. You did bad, therefore you're bad. And Paul said this, he said, what a miserable man I am because I'm not doing the things that I want to do and I'm doing the things I don't want to do. But when you look at some of the most effective people in God's word, some of the great heroes that we love, Moses, Joshua, 
Abraham, David, Peter, Paul, a lot of those guys, a lot of the disciples, Thomas, some of these great men of faith that we would look up to and women of faith that we would look up to, just about all of them that have been affected in God's words, you'll see they all battled with identity crises. With Moses, I can't talk. With David, obviously he got into adultery and all sorts of stuff. With Moses, he's also a murderer. Come on, are you with me this morning? Abraham denied that Sarah was a wife and pretended that she was his sister. And so the king of the nation they were in was, was going to marry her and, and all sorts of stuff that went on. They were Peter made so many mistakes, it's unbelievable. Paul as well was, he says, I was the worst of sinners. Like every single one of them had an identity issue. They battled with their identity. And I think what the enemy does to cause you and I not to accomplish the things that I think that God plants in our hearts, the goals, the desires that we want to go after, good desires, great desires. The reason why they don't happen is because when we stuff up along the way, we make a mistake, or that week we didn't lose a kg, but we actually gained three. All of a sudden, this this voice comes in that says, you're a failure, you're useless, give up, quit, this will never happen for you, you're never going to get there. And it associates your failure with who you are, but your failure is not who you are. A failure is what you have done. Who you are is in Christ. Your identity is not in what you do, but it's in who he is. We say things like, I'm not good enough. I'm not educated enough. I feel unworthy. This is just the way I am. I have an addictive personality. I'm not a disciplined person. I'm not an organized person. I've never been good in relationships. I just can't seem to get things done. And that's how we talk to ourselves, and this unhealthy identity creates unwise habits. I, I've, I know it does this because the unwise habit then reinforces the unhealthy identity, and it's this whole cycle. And so what happens is, here's Craig, was doing the gym really well, but then had a really bad week leading up to Christmas because I had to go out to dinner three nights in a row with different things and ended up just eating way more than I should have. So after those three nights in a row of just blowing it, I think to myself, what the heck? I've blown it already. I might as well just go down and get my favorite thing. So I went down and I brought some smoked salmon cream cheese to mix it together and a packet of chips and sat there and ate the whole thing. Why? Because, because this failure, you can't do this, Craig. You're useless. You always try to do this. It never works. Just give up. Just quit. So this unhealthy identity led me back to an unwise habit. And then the unwise habit then reinforces my unhealthy, my unhealthy identity because then when I finish the chips and the smoked salmon dip, I'm then like, you guts, what is wrong with you? And so you beat yourself up some more, yes? So then you might as well just eat, and eat the chocolate that's there as well because, you know, you're such a loser. You might as well eat the chocolate too. And so this unhealthy identity leads to another bad habit and the bad habit just reinforces the unhealthy identity. Does anybody know what I'm talking about here this morning? Glad it's not just me. And so we don't see ourselves as godly, therefore we don't live godly. I constantly let God down, I constantly sin, I constantly stuff up, so what's the point? Well, the point is this, is that if you can keep 
those little things, those little disciplines in a routine, in a system, you will actually become who you want to become. And so what happens is, is when we, when we are, are failing God and we think that we're not living godly, it just reinforces the identity that the enemy says that you can't be like God, just like he said to Adam and Eve. If you eat of this fruit, you'll be like him. You are already like him. You were created in his image. In his likeness, he created us. You and I. I'm already in the image of God. My identity is found in Christ, not in what I do, but in what he has done. And I may fail at times, but I'm not a failure. Though a righteous man falls down seven times, he gets up again. See, failure is not how many times you fall over. Failure is when you never get back up again. And what happens is unhealthy identity beats you down so you don't bother to get back up. And bad habit leads to bad habit, which leads to bad identity. And the circle just keeps going and going. We're not really living for God, and the cycle becomes really, really negative. Why? Because identity always shapes actions. How you see yourself is will dictate to what you do. When you know who you are, you know what to do. Come on. There's, there was rules in my family growing up that in the Jordan family there were particular rules. I knew what rules they were because every time we went round to somebody's house, before we got out of the car, mum would give us the talk. Anybody have one of those mums? Give us the talk. And the talk was about our behaviour and how we behave at somebody else's house rather than our own house. Yeah, there was rules. There was, there was things, and if you knew who you were, you knew what to do, and if you did what mum told you to do, there was a happy ending when you got home. If you didn't behave the way that mum told you behave while you're at the person's house, dad would give you a smile that says, I'm smiling at you so that the people think I love you, but you know that this means when you get home, you're getting a hiding. Because when you know who you are, you know what to do. We say that in our house. We don't do it that way in this family. When you know who you are, you know what to do. And when you know who you are in Christ, then you know what to do. And even though you may fail, you know that you don't stay down, you get back up again. Why? Because the do overflows out of the who. What I do overflows out of who I am. What I do overflows out of who I am. Not what I have done, but who I am. And so I may have failed yesterday, but I know what to do tomorrow. Because I know who I am. I'm not the failure. That was a mistake. Yep, I've learned a lesson there, but I know what to do now. Hopefully I've learned that when that, that temptation comes along again, I know what to do now so I don't make the same mistake twice. You don't start with the do, you start with the who. And when you start with the who, you know what to do. Romans 6 says this, we know that our old sinful natures were crucified with Christ. Come on, friend, this is, that's a great statement right there. This old sinful me, this old sinful you, was crucified with Christ. What? So that sin might lose its power in our lives. We have been crucified with him so that sin loses its power in our lives. So failures can't grip us because it does. sin doesn't have the power over our lives. We may make a mistake that we fall down seven times, but we get back up again. Why? Because it can't grip us. It can't control us. 
it can't push us down because I have been crucified with Christ so that sin may lose its power in our lives. We are no longer slaves to sin. I don't have to do that over and over again. I don't have to live in that constant bad habit over and over again. I don't have to live that my what my unhealthy identity tells me that I need to be. I can change my identity and have his identity and become the righteousness of Christ in Christ Jesus. And then when I know what my identity is, I know I don't have to do that again and again and again because I'm not that person I've been crucified with him and sin has lost its power and I'm no longer a slave to sin. I'm no longer a slave to the lusts of my life for when we died in Christ we were set free from the power of sin and now you are free from your slavery to sin and you have become slaves to righteous living so I don't I'm not a slave to my failures anymore now because Christ is in my life I've become a slave to righteous living right standing with God kind of living making great choices every single day again and again I can make some of you need to look in the mirror every morning and say I can make great choices today I can make godly choices today I can make a brilliant choice today I don't have to make the choice that my father's made to become an alcoholic I don't have to make the choice that my mother's made of being abusive. I don't have to make the choice of what my uncle did when he sexually abused me. I can make a different choice because sin doesn't have its power over me anymore. Oh, what a miserable man I am. Oh, thank God that Jesus set me free. And so when you know who you are, even when you make a mistake, you know what to do. You confess your sins to him because he forgives you. And then you find somebody, the Bible says, we confess our sins. He's faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and cleanse us of all unrighteousness. And then the Bible says, find somebody really good that you can trust. Because when you confess your sins to one another and pray for another, you'll be healed. And so God put a system in place so that you don't have to go over and over again in your failures, but you confess to him your sin. And then he cleanses you from all of your sin. And then he says, make a good choice. Find a good person to talk to. And they're going to pray for you. And not only will I lift sin off your life, but I'll bring healing to your life. But it requires you to build relationships. And to build relationship means you've got to be in church regularly so you can form friendships with godly people and get in a connect group. Why? So you can form friendships with godly people so you can not just live saved, but you can live healed. When you know who you are, you know what to do. And this is what the Bible says is who you are. You are redeemed. You are the righteousness in Christ. You are more than a conqueror. You're an overcomer. You're blessed coming in and you're blessed going out. You can do all things through Christ who strengthens you. This is who you are in Christ. This is your identity. Your identity is not what you have done. Your identity is who you are in and you are in him. And he died on the cross and he cleansed you from sin. You're no longer a slave to that, but you're a slave to right living, making right choices. Again and again and again. Oh, what a miserable person I am. Who can deliver me? Thank God. Thank God for his son. His son, Jesus Christ, can set me free. And because identity shapes action. When you know who you are, you know what to do. And so a healthy identity creates positive habits. Yes? Healthy identity creates positive habits. And positive habits creates 
a healthy identity. That's the circle. I do the right thing. It makes me feel good about myself. And so I do the right thing again. And it makes me feel good about myself. And so I do the right thing again. And it makes me feel good about myself. Because just like bad habits create bad identity, good habits create great identity. fast, I tithe, I pray, I read God's word, I eat disciplined, I work out. It creates healthy habits and those healthy habits, positive habits, create a healthy self-image. I'm a disciplined child of God. I'm a contributor. I'm an ambassador. I'm the one who makes a difference in the world. When you know who you are, friend, you know what to do. No single action will change your identity. No single action will change your identity, but I want to promise you this morning that consistent actions over time start to change how you feel about yourself. Starts to change your identity because successful people, like I said at the beginning, do consistently what other people do occasionally. But when you understand who you want to be, you understand and you understand who you are, then you'll know what to do. But to know what to do, you have to decide who you want to be. What kind of person do you want to be? What kind of husband do you want to be? What kind of father do you want to be? What kind of mum do you want to be? What kind of wife do you want to be? What kind of child do you want to be? What kind of employee do you want to be? And then when you have the goal of what you want to be, then you've got to put some positive, healthy, consistent habits and systems in place. And when I ask myself this week, Man, if I know who I am in Christ, then who do I want to be? I want to be like Jesus. My answer couldn't be anything else. I want to, I want to be like Jesus. I want to be like Christ. I want to be like Him. I want to be full of love. I want to be full of grace. I want to be full of truth. I want to reflect the love of God in this world. I want to be like Jesus. I want to conform to His image. And, and I understand this, that if I'm becoming more and more like Christ then I know who I am and then I know what to do. If I'm becoming more and more like him, then I know who I am. And so when I face a circumstance, which may be challenging, I know what to do. When I know who I am and my friend comes and asks for advice about what they should do about their marriage or whatever, because I know who I am, I know what to do. I know what advice to give because I know who I am in Christ. I had somebody say to say heard somebody had said this recently to them, oh, you, you, you can't really give advice about having a boyfriend because you've never had one. Well, Jesus never had a girlfriend or a wife, never had kids. But he's full of advice of what we should do in those areas. Why? Because what you do comes out of your identity. You don't have to be superstar parent right now but I'm telling you what, if you consistently seek his word about how to be a great parent, and then you put some of those disciplines in place, you will end up becoming a great parent. Why? Because you consistently do the right thing, because you know who you are in Christ. I don't have to be angry. I don't have to lose the plot with them. Although there are times where Spare the rod, spoil the child. But you know what I'm saying? I don't have to get frustrated with them. I know who I am, and then I know what to do. And I had to sort that situation out. 
when my teenager is going through difficulties and maybe is making some mistakes, when I know who I am, I know what to do. I know that the best thing to do is not to slam them. The best thing to do is to love them. It's to show them Jesus. To show them what he would do. doesn't mean that they get away with whatever. There's always consequences to everybody's actions. But if there's one thing I'm trying to do as a dad is I'm trying to be more about the love and forgiveness and so not so much about the punishment. The punishment's there. The consequences come. But I know that God doesn't hold on to his anger towards me, so I don't hold on to it towards them. I didn't really understand that until I became a dad. I couldn't understand things like, I don't know if you've had this situation happen, but every now, probably about once, in my, I think this one time in my life, as a child, I was naughty once, I think, from memory. I must have been because my mum, and mum would normally sort us out if we were naughty, but this time I must have been. No, this one time. I must have been really naughty because she said, wait till your dad gets home. Those are just horrible, horrible words, aren't they? Because it was only one o'clock in the afternoon. Dad doesn't come home for four hours. So for four hours, you live in this state of perpetual anxiety, waiting for Dad to come home. Dad comes home and you know what the next thing's going to be. Go to your room. You go to your room, waiting for Mum to tell Dad what has happened, and then waiting to listen to the belt come out of the belt loops. Flip, 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 as it comes. And then comes the pain. And then he'd say, after he had disciplined us, and we deserve to be disciplined, he goes, when you've got yourself together, I want you to come down to the lounge and give me a cuddle. Get stuffed. I don't come down to the lounge and give you a cuddle. You just beat me, you mongrel. I come down with my belt. Say things like, this hurts me more than it hurts you. Well, give me the belt and we'll see. Hey, it's crazy talk parents have, eh? But he understood something. And it taught me something. That yes, there may be consequences to my actions, but there's always love and forgiveness straight afterwards. And that what I did is not held against me. And I have to spend the whole night in, in fear because my parents are angry with me. Because I did something wrong, I suffered the consequences, and then love and grace came. And when we know who we are and we make a mistake, we know we don't have to live there. We don't have to live in the guilt and the shame because there's no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus. There may be a consequence to my action, but I know I can step straight out of that into his love and his grace and his mercy because I'm a child of God and he loves me and he's for me and he disciplines those he loves so he's actually helping me because I know who I am. I don't get offended in church. I don't get offended when people say horrible things about me because I know who I am. I don't walk away from church because people have treated me badly because I know who I am. My first Sunday here, some of you don't know this, but my first Sunday here as pastor, I walked in and some, the first thing somebody said to me was, if you come in here and change things like, the last pastor will get rid of you like we got rid of him. That was the first thing that was said to me in this church. That person, I was kind of blown away a little bit by that. And 
I could have avoided them, but I went up to them after church and said, I want to take you out for lunch this week. Because I decided that hurting people hurt people. And I wanted to know why he was hurting. And when I had lunch with him, I discovered he'd been promised all these things and nothing had ever happened. Pastors had promised him theft for years and years and years. And none of it happened. I said, what's one thing that you've been promised that you'd love to see? And he told me, and I said, I'm going to make sure that happens for you inside the next month. And he goes, no, I won't. You're just like all the others. I'm going to make sure it happens for you inside a month. I made sure it happened for him inside the month. I had to argue with people to make it happen. Made it happen inside the month. You know, he transformed overnight. And went from a person that said, we're going to get rid of you, to a person that said to me, I love this church. I love you. I love what you're doing. I love... Why? It was just hurting. And I don't need to get offended by someone who's hurting because when you know who you are, you know what to do. And God doesn't beat us up when we yell and scream at him because we're hurting. He sends his comforter to come alongside. Because when you know who you are, you know what to do. But to become who you know you need to become requires you to put some good systems in place where you consistently do what you know is a good thing because positive habits create a healthy self-image and a healthy self-image creates positive habits. And this year, and I say this with a little bit of fear in my voice, but you can hold me accountable for how this looks now to what it's going to look by the end of the year. Because I'm a temple of the Holy Spirit and I need to get this body fit and healthy. Why? So I can do what it is that He's called me to do without this body being a restriction to what He's called me to do. And I'm going to put some consistent habits in place that I may hate because I don't like getting up early. Grandma tries to get me out of bed early at 6 o'clock to go to the gym. I said, you go at 6, I'll be there at 9. And you can achieve everything that you have in desire your heart if you make a decision today to live in the identity of God and not in the identity of your failures. Because your failures are not who you are, that's what you've done. But if you get yourself lined up in his identity and then put some really good systems in place, you'll finish this year in a place that you only dreamed you could be.